0: Hi, I'm Alan. Hi, this is Dionysus. Hi, I'm Kyle. And hi,
1: this is Breaker, and you're listening to Magic Hour, a podcast about all things Dow. By the way, um, completely random, but did anyone mint there, or uh, did anyone get any other deeds in this madness of land i
0: actually i want to talk to you about this after the the pod breaker i i'm gonna need some help i'm right. gonna buy some yuga land yeah nice. I, I get
2: one for free i did not mint any but i uh, i need to claim oh, okay. mine i still have not i tried to claim it yesterday but the website wasn't letting me so i'm gonna
3: oh is it with it. the right. boic or say again is it because is it you have yeah, because you have a
2: board ape yeah yeah so i i own this nice. board ape in my profile picture here it's like kind of like you know donning night armor but um Ooh. I split it with my brother. So yeah, we've had that since uh, since like October. Oh, that's oh. cool. Wow. Nice.
3: Good for you. Thank
1: good you for you. you. Okay. <laughs>
2: I know. It was a, a lot of uh, commitment at the moment. It was like 38 ETH, but definitely happy with that purchase. And
3: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That definitely did oh, sure. you
1: well then. For sure. All right, guys. Uh, how's everybody doing here? It's another podcast episode of the Magic Hour. Alan, Dion.
3: Doing good, man. I'm doing awesome. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's starting to come out again i feel kind of kind of feels like a nice fresh start back into the spaces and stuff like that with just a bunch of news and you know just a lot more excitement coming forward into the spaces so i'm, I'm excited i'm excited for what's to come yeah
1: absolutely and uh, we also have a guest with us today fluke is joining us from the knights of the ether uh, team we're going to speak with fluke in just a minute but you might hear him chime in as we go through the news and notes but speaking of which let's do that right now uh alum what's uh what's on your news and notes this Uh, oh
3: yeah so for the news and notes first thing first so bridgeworld 2.0 is going to be releasing soon as a matter of fact within depths of that we have questing 2.0 that's also going to be coming out very very soon which we got an announcement today and uh that's going to be releasing as far as i believe on may 9th and so that's honestly really, really cool. i'm I'm glad to see that. That's
1: that's I think the that's, I think the day that this episode drops. So you might be playing Bridgeworld while you listen to the Magic Hour podcast. Yeah,
3: yeah, you're right. And uh, I'm pretty sure you have to stop questing as well uh, by a certain date for those uh, for those listening. So yeah, so you want to stop questing by May seventh, and you know if you're listening to this and hopefully you did. And uh, Questing 2.0 is releasing as well, which is pretty, pretty cool. So again, lots of stuff coming out. And for Realm, again, hopefully you unstaked your Realm as well. And you're heading over to the Magic Refinery now, which is a new whole section part of Realm, which I'm very, very excited to, you know, talk about eventually as well, because I feel like there's going to be a lot more stuff coming out with that. And then we have our small, uh, big, big announcement by Corel himself. It was it was you know massive. He had a lot of stuff to um, say. I feel like it was a, definitely a good message that was given out to, uh, to you know the small community, and I feel like it definitely did bring towards more of a positive sentiment towards the community as well as I feel like a lot of people were happy to see what Corel was saying as well.
1: Is Corel Car- a a uh, a man? I, I don't know. I, I, he or she? He or she? I actually don't know. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know either. I, I actually thought it was a, a a female, but cool. Anything else, Alan, or uh, are we gonna move on
0: to Dion?
3: No, no. I feel like there's gonna be you know a lot more stuff later on All to right. talk about, but I, I'm good on my side.
0: Cool, uh, Dion. What about you? What's your news and notes? This yeah. Week? So for my news and notes, I'd like to quickly draw attention to treasures tip thirteen. It's their most recent improvement protocol, and I would encourage, just generally speaking, all listeners to participate in these governance discussions and let your voice be heard. In short, Tip 13 is taking a pretty big step towards realizing the vision of the interconnected metaverse within the Treasure ecosystem, and with the tip, they're looking to build one of the first bottom-up AAA NFT and Web3 game studios. So the tip, proposes TreasureDAO would divert up to 1.9 million US dollars over a period of about nine to 12 months to seed the development of the game, which is codenamed Project Bilbo, which is a funny name. Now, where exactly is that uh, money going? So those funds, again, up to 1.9 mil would allow Treasure to team up with the StriderDAO and a former lead designer from one of the world's leading MMORPGs. I'm not entirely sure which MMORPG it is, but um, those two entities would be uh, teaming up with Treasure to help build this gaming studio. The end result would be a playable vertical slice, which they define as a non-optimized feature-complete run-through of the core gameplay, leveraging actual game art. So I kind of think of it as completing the main story arc, but maybe not all of the side quests.
1: Awesome. I, uh, I- I'm going to be honest, I haven't participated much in uh, TreasureDAO governance, but I feel like I definitely want to vote on this one. I think this is a, quite an important proposal, so I'm going to look into this further. Thanks for sharing that. For sure. Uh, my news and notes for this week is not necessarily magic-related, but tangentially, and I, I think I do this uh, fairly often. For me, what, what I was kind of glued to this week was what was going on with DeFi Kingdoms, which... Uh, if you're in the magic ecosystem, typically we kind of look to DeFi Kingdoms as kind of a comparative project that a lot of us follow. They have the jewel token, uh, they do questing as well. And it seems like recently the devs have been accused of basically insider trading, uh, dumping jewel tokens, kind of hiding a wallet that had a lot of the treasury for the developers and then kind of maybe lying about it or saying it was a friend's wallet, you know, trying to kind of deflect. And I know that the community isn't very happy with them right now. And it just goes to show you how quickly, you know, the participants in an ecosystem can turn on you if you're not being an honest and open development group. So, you know, I think that it just reminds me how grateful I am for the teams that are working in this space, how big the space is becoming, how many different projects are working on treasure and how it feels like everybody's working together for the most part. And that's what I like to see. Uh, So, you know, it sucks for what happened in DeFi kingdoms, but maybe some people who are kind of working in there will flock to treasure or maybe we'll find some developers coming over to uh, the treasure ecosystem out of this. So there might be a silver lining there but I hope that they can sort it out too. You know, this could be a defining moment for DeFi kingdoms and it could potentially kill the entire project.
0: Absolutely. it. it, it I've, I've seen the ripple effects through the communities and how it even affects certain uh, magic community members too. So hopefully it gets worked out. Yeah, hopefully. But enough about news and notes. Like I said,
1: we have Fluke here from Knights of the Ether. Fluke, is that how I pronounce your name?
2: Yes, that is correct. Thank you so much for having me on, right. guys. Happy to be here. All right, we're
1: happy to have you. And for listeners out there, Fluke is the founder of Knights of the Ether. Is that yes, correct? Yes, sir.
2: Co founder alongside my brother, Dubber.
1: Okay, cool. Co founder. And welcome to the pod. You know, we're, uh, we've got a whole bunch of questions we want to ask you. Uh, we want you to tell us about your project. So without further ado, I'm going to let Dion uh, take us away. Dion?
0: Yeah. Hey, everyone. Well, I, again, I just want to say thank you so much, Fluke. I, I want to say that you're the first NFT founder that we've ever had on the podcast. So that is a first. And I I don't say that to add any pressure to this in any way.
2: <laughs> but <laughs> Man, just, all the pressure, thanks. my shoulders just sunk. <laughs> no, well, that's great. I, you know, I'm so happy to be here. So that's awesome. So I guess to to just start off
0: here, we would like to know a little bit more about you. One of the questions generally
2: uh, is what was your
0: journey into crypto like? Uh, How did you find it and what gets you excited about it?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, we can kind of do the journey into crypto and then like kind of how that transitioned into NFTs as well as a main focus. Crypto, I first kind of stumbled upon on Reddit back in 2017. You know, I had, I I guess, Ethereum I stumbled upon in 2017. Bitcoin, I had, you know, heard some rumblings in 2013 and kind of didn't really ever check it out, but knew about it. In 2017, I got into Ethereum through Reddit and kind of I um, mean, you know, I'm a total autodidact. Anything that's kind of new and interesting and innovative like that, I want to go teach myself about it. I want to go learn more. So I immediately, you know, bought some Ethereum, kind of really got into kind of what the narrative was and the culture. And pretty soon after I bought some Ethereum, we had that kind of like early 2018 crash. And, you know, my claim to fame, I guess, is that I didn't sell any of it during that time. And I you know, <laughs> held on to it and I... You know, added to some bags, bought a couple other coins like uh, like Chainlink that ended up doing really well and, you know, hold held most of my kind of crypto stuff um, and did some trading with it all the way through to 2021 summer and kind of pivoted uh, into NFTs. when I found out about NFTs that moment sold a lot of my crypto holdings and was like, okay, I think I want to go kind of, you know, full time into uh, the NFT space.
1: I have a question. First, you used a word that I, I am not familiar with, but sounds exactly like what I am. Autodidact? I had never heard that before.
2: Yeah, yeah. So autodidact is like self-teaching, like someone who is really interested in like teaching themselves things. Yeah, like a self-starter. Yeah. Okay.
1: I can definitely align with that. And I would say that your story rings very similar to my story as it relates to crypto. I also kind of discovered it on Reddit and just like, and but for me, it was like 2013, but it was Bitcoin. And but it was the same thing. You know, I was like, I have to learn more about this. I have to understand how this whole thing works. Mm-hmm. And it, it took me like two or three times in the white paper to really grasp the idea of it. But once it clicked, I was like, Holy yeah, shit.
2: yeah, this is cool. Yeah, that,
0: that's super interesting. You you mentioned that in 2017. With Ethereum, you kind of jumped into the narrative, which sounds like you were a little bit more tech first as as opposed to just treating cryptocurrency as a as a vehicle to to make money, which, again, is a good thing considering the 2018 crash that you just mentioned.
2: Right, right. You know, I definitely I would say I got into it more from an investment standpoint from the start, but I was definitely not so much on a just like I'm just investing in this and just watching the chart. I'm investing in this because I do think the narrative of what the technology can be and what the kind of innovation that it can bring uh, interested me more. So that was kind of the, you know, a bit of both, I would say. Absolutely.
0: And with that, I think a lot of people that that have an appreciation for the, the, the technology, the breakthrough technology that is cryptocurrency writ large do... With that, do you have aspirations to be in Web3 full time? Are you
2: in Web3 full time?
0: Or do you have another job outside of this?
2: Yeah, so I am in Web3 full time. Uh, I have been since 2021 summer. And and yeah, it's great. I mean, I can't imagine having another job while trying to run, a, you know, a full NFT collection at the moment. I, I wish I had more time for like the NFT space in general, too. But yeah, definitely happily full time Web3 and Let's, you know, fingers crossed it it stays that way for a long time. That's the hope.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So summer 2021, almost almost a full year ago, what made you want to start an NFT project so quickly? And how did you come up with Knights of the Ether?
2: Yeah, so, you know, it was pretty quick. There wasn't much time between me finding out about NFTs and thinking, wow, I would love to start an NFT collection. And part of that was. You know, the first NFT collection I bought, I'm not going to name drop, even though I think it's not even around anymore. You know, it was a total rug. Uh, the, you know, the seeing the community switch from like Euphoria to, you know, all out FUD in a Discord was just crazy to see. And I I saw both the potential and the way that the potential was not being put to use within the NFT space. I saw how many kind of projects were slapped together, um, how there wasn't much direction around them, how they were being kind of run as very short term things, as short term businesses, as short term kind of capitalizations. And so pretty quickly I was like, I think I can do this better. I'm really interested in cryptocurrency. I'm really interested in blockchain. I love the kind of investment and tech side of it. But also at my heart, I'm like uh, a creative person. You know, I was a music producer for a long time. Uh, You know, I got my English degree. I like writing. I'm totally into the fantasy genre. And so I felt that this was a good kind of intersection of my interests and that I could bring uh, a lot of value to creating an NFT collection. And so that kind of leads into, you know, why Knights of the Ether, why this specific collection? And that's just because I'm a, you know, a total fantasy nerd, Lord of the Rings, Gene Wolfe, all these sorts of, uh, All these sorts of films and books and uh, graphic novels, you know, totally captured me as a kid and have been kind of a, you know, a passion of mine for most of my life. And Knights just felt like very, like composable with the different pieces and the way like a kind of NFT is structured with these different layers and things that kind of merge together and randomize Knights with their kind of, uh, I can't think of the right word for it, but with all their kind of interchangeable armor pieces. Felt like a really cool way to go about that. And it was something that I hadn't seen before. So that's, that was kind of the impetus there.
1: I was going to ask, what, what's your favorite fantasy series as it relates to like books or movies or whatever? Yeah. I
2: mean, okay. It's kind of a deep cut, but it's called uh The Book of the New Sun by Gene Wolfe. It's like this kind of five book tetralogy, tetralogy. I don't even know how to pronounce that, but five books. And, um, it's kind of like a uh, literary fantasy, so it's like a little more highbrow, I don't know, like English major here. You know, I like reading kind of complicated stuff, but also Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Total Classics. Yeah, I like a lot of, uh, you know, like graphic novels and stuff too. But yeah, that would, Gene Wolfe would be my my uh, my main choice. If anybody was looking for a great fantasy novel, go check out Gene Wolfe, yeah. Enough about you, Fluke
0: um let's let's dive a little bit more in, into knights of the ether and because we have the pleasure of having you on i know that we've talked about it in previous episodes but i would love just straight from the horse's mouth what is knights of the ether or straight from the knight's mouth maybe. Um, what what's like your elevator or bar pitch
2: right right okay so knights of the ether the nft collection is uh 4,000 Knights residing on the Ethereum blockchain, and there's kind of a companion collection, which are the Squires, and those were airdropped to all Knights holders, uh, you know, a few weeks ago here. Uh, And those are NFTs that quest on L2 Arbitrum in a similar fashion to BridgeWorld, and they are kind of inventory managers they go out on like, you know, a few different quests and they bring back things like rings, potions, and trinkets. Uh, and Fief as well, our token. And they're kind of a precursor and a parallel portion of what is our main game that happens mostly off-chain. And that comes out later, uh, you know, we can talk about timing later on in the, the pod here. But that's kind of a deck-building roguelike game, which is a uh, player versus environment. One player, you move through these kind of three acts. And those are the two kind of separate pieces of Knights that the Year. That's the really quick, you know, one minute overview.
0: No, that's that's fantastic. I think you hit on all of the major points that and that is a good transition into our next question about this is on both layer one and layer two. Can you explain right. why you wanted the NFTs spread across multiple layers?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, having a play to earn game on layer one is a pretty high barrier of entry to anybody who can't spend, you know, $15, $20, $30, whatever it may be on the gas fees for every single transaction. So having an on chain play to earn game on layer one was never really in the cards. Um, It was always kind of a question of which layer two would we put the uh, would we put the kind of on chain game on? And so the Arbitrum was our choice there. And then there, there's kind of a you know a secondary reason as to you know some people ask why don't you bridge Knights over to Arbitrum as well? The kind of reasoning there is that. If we leave these main characters on L1, and then we have their kind of support class on L2, it keeps this constant kind of pipeline open for bringing new uh, L1 wallets or L1 users into the L2 ecosystem. Whether it's you know just the Arbitrum ecosystem or the Treasure ecosystem in general, and it's really important to kind of bridge that for people. And it's a really it's it's so much quick value for people who maybe buy something, one of our you know pieces on OpenSea. Say hey you know, set up your your uh, Arbitrum wallet and you're going to have these kind of support classes or this like ability to uh, quest and get value for yourself almost immediately on L2. And so it's an easy way to kind of bridge people over and kind of facilitate that process on uh, Arbitrum's behalf.
1: That's really cool. I like that approach yeah, that to, like you know, using uh, L1 in that way. Dion, if you don't mind, I just have one follow up to that is, Uh, Of all the L2s, why did you choose Arbitrum over, say, Avalanche or Polygon or uh, any of the others?
2: Right, yeah. So uh, the kind of funny answer is that, like, the small brands community bullied us into it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, They were were pretty effective. They hard sold that. So early on, you know, in our whitelist days back in, like, December... um, we had a lot of small brains kind of make their way into our discord. I'm not sure how they kind of first got connected with us, but, uh, we, you know, we gave out free whitelist spots to all small brains and small bodies holders. Um, and, We Our first AMA in Discord, we were talking about our play to earn and that, you know, we were thinking, oh, you know, for our layer two, we hadn't decided yet, but maybe Polygon. And we had multiple small brains come up on stage and be like, why not Arbitrum? Why not Arbitrum? And so, you know, that was the first time I'd heard of Arbitrum and immediately I did some more research on it. And it made a lot of sense, especially because one of the first things I came across was TreasureDAO and the ecosystem that they were building i remember kind of i think it was the night after we did that discord ama i was laying in bed reading through the treasure uh or maybe it was the bridge world white paper or the treasure dow Git book or something and i was just like this is so cool this is like very in line with you know there's like the fantasy aspect and the questing but it was just very in line with like both the kind of the ethics behind it and or like the ethos behind TreasureDAO and the, the aesthetic as well. And so we thought we thought that would be kind of a natural fit.
0: Wow, that's incredible. So, it, it, I mean, you finding Arbitrum and Treasure and magic is is more of a function of, of the community coming to you, finding your project. And I like I guess, like you said, bullying you into it. Is that <laughs> right? Is that a, that's yeah, incredible. you know,
2: bully is maybe a harsh word. But sure. it, it definitely, you know, it gave us a lot to look into or, you know, it really, like, you know, put the wheels in motion because we saw this huge community coming in and kind of, you know, being proponents of Arbitrum. And like, that's such a good sign when you have all of these community members coming in of their own volition saying, you should really try out this ecosystem, try out this chain. There's a lot of cool things happening. And, you know, community is such a huge part of an NFT collection. So that definitely, you know, caught our eye and was the the reason that we eventually made our way over to Arbitrum. Yeah.
0: As mentioned before, there are two kind of buckets of NFTs. There's a, a bucket on layer one. There's a bucket on layer two. So, what is currently available for uh, participants as of today, right now? What what can we go do, and uh, what what questing is available? What things like that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, nothing is available on layer one for the knights at the moment. Uh, right now, what you can do is if you own a squire, you can go to our squires page and quest specifically to just the forest. We're kind of in this soft launch phase right now where we've you know put our contracts out and you can quest to the forest and send out uh, you know, one of your four different squires, which are uh, luck, wisdom, strength, and faith. And they will bring back fief from the forest. The forest is kind of just the fief generator. Um, There's three. There's there's other stuff on the horizon, but uh, real quick, I'll talk a little bit about what kind of squires are in general, if that's okay. Yeah, and so there's yeah, full of four types of squires. Like I said, Uh, each of them are have a natural affinity for one of the four separate stats, which are what I said: luck, wisdom, strength, and faith. And those stats have. kind of change the way you interact with the questing ecosystem. So for example, uh, a strength squire has more of a chance to receive an upgrade in his strength stat when he comes back from every quest. He has a chance to receive an upgrade for any of his stats, but he's more likely to receive a strength upgrade. And once he hits, say, level 10 strength, he's going to have a higher base fief that he can uh, come back with from the, the forest. When he hits level 20 strength, he'll have an even higher base fief, strength, or base fief amount that he can come back with. And then for luck, it's a similar thing where uh, they'll have a higher percentage chance of bringing back rare items from the cavern in the mountain, which are other two other questing locations. Uh, Wisdom has uh, the ability to kind of barter better with the shops and gets better prices for upgrading things within the shops. And Faith has a better return on upgrading their own stats when they go to the temple. The temple is this place where you go to where you aren't guaranteed a stat, stat upgrade, but you have about double the chance of receiving a stat upgrade. So you kind of, there's a trade-off between these four different questing sites, where am I, you know, am I going to farm thief? Am I going to find items? Or am I going to upgrade my stats so that later on in the game, I'll have a better chance of doing those aforementioned things. Nice. And, and as you mentioned currently, only
0: force questing is available for Squires, correct?
2: Yes, you know, by the time this podcast releases, there might be uh, both cavern and mountain available. That's kind of around our timeline. But yes, yeah, so probably just forest, maybe cavern and mountain by the time people are hearing this. Yeah.
0: That's incredible. So I, I personally have eight squires. I love questing them every day. I am stacking that thief. I'm having a great time. I love the UI. Wait, you mentioned you in music production. Did you make the music uh, in the background? No, I did not. Okay.
2: You know, it is not quite my specialty, the type of music there. I think at some point I will take that kind of bass music that we have and flip it in my own direction. Um, we also are going to have a couple other music options coming up. I think Preem's from uh, Smallville Sound. Some people might be familiar with him. Uh he's going to flip that and turn it into kind of his own uh, more kind of like lo-fi hip-hop version to have. So, yeah, you know, as a, a music person myself, we're going to have a few different music options for you guys to choose from up there.
1: Do I need a, a knight in order to quest with the squire, or is, are they independent?
2: Yes, so that's a good question. You need at least one knight. and we're actually implementing this. This isn't live yet. Here's a little alpha for the magic hour. But the based off of how many squires and knights you have, there's a formula where basically you can get better probabilities of returning with more fee for more items, based off of kind of the ratio of knights to squires that you have within your wallet. So, like the best ratio is one to one. Say you have eight squires, you want eight knights to get the kind of best probabilities. Um, and that just kind of fits in lore wise. You know, a squire does his job better, does his or her job better if they have uh, their own knight to attend to. So,
0: historically accurate and fun.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> nice.
0: Okay. So, currently we can question the forest, and then there's a potential for us to question a couple other places by the time of release. On that similar vein, looking forward, what's on the horizon that has been announced? And then here's where we're going to fish for a little bit more alpha. Has there anything that's not been announced that you feel comfortable telling us or teasing?
2: Uh, For Squires specifically or for kind of the whole ecosystem? The the entire
0: ecosystem. It's Mm, a a broad mm. brushstroke question.
2: Okay, okay. Um, Well, something fun that we haven't really touched on before uh, within the Squires kind of universe is that there'll be some things like, uh, temporary quests with, uh, partner collections. Specifically, the first one is going to be partnering with Magic Dragon Dao and there's going to be kind of a, a dragon, uh, spotted off in the distance. It'll be kind of a temporary two week quest. Um, I think the dragon is going to, you know, offer up some prizes from their end, but also on our end, there's going to be these kind of rare dragon scales. Uh, that, you know, function as an item in our deck-building game later on. But the fun kind of trade-off here is that, so you're going to hopefully steal a scale from the dragon while it's sleeping, but there's a chance that the dragon wakes up and scorches your squire, and uh, you don't get to quest with that squire maybe for about a week. We haven't landed on exactly the amount of time there, but so there's a bit of risk versus reward, and then there will only ever be uh, 500 of the dragon scales, so you're definitely kind of... uh, motivated to send your squires out there early and often to get you know your portion of those scales, but hey, you might come back scorched and then you can't send that squire off for another week. So we're doing fun things like that, temporary quests. Um, we're also looking to uh, bring some more L1 collections in and do some kind of partner quests with them as well. You guys might have seen this this kind of Daodon's key. I don't know if you guys have heard of Daodon, probably have. Um, yes. Yeah, so we're going to do kind of a partner uh, quest with them at some point here in May as well, where if you hold both a Daodon access card and uh, a knight and a squire, you'll be able to go out to this this kind of specific quest where uh, there's a high chance for you to get one of these Daodon keys, or the Don's Key, I think is what it's called. And that's an item in our game later on as well. So yeah, partnership quests. Um, We're going to do some really cool stuff in the town. The town is kind of this area you can't go into yet. And we haven't really released any info about what's there, but it's going to be kind of some more interactive storytelling things, um, some more kind of like quick fire quests, maybe a little like tavern, uh, you know, dice gambling mechanic, something fun like that. Yeah, we have a lot uh, we're planned. It's you know the way we've built it is that it's this really fun, iterable sandbox in which we can uh, implement a lot of cool, creative uh, new things to keep people uh, coming back and having fun and engaged.
1: No, I- it sounds like a lot of fun to be honest uh i can't i I hope that you guys get to deliver on all these different features you know and it's great that you're working with magic dragon down because they were hinting at stuff like that when we spoke with them on the previous pod and hearing what you guys are working together on is pretty cool in my book yeah
2: yeah yeah the guys over there are great yeah and you know what kind of speaking to like executing Um, you know, I think that's like an important thing to kind of discuss. I think that there's a lot of vision in the NFT space and maybe not as much follow through execution or it doesn't always happen. Right. We we do like to, I wouldn't say we under promise because we have, you know, we promised a lot of fun stuff and we have a great vision, but we do like to over deliver. You know, we just brought on another dev two weeks ago to kind of, you know, boost our, you know, kind of robust contract creation and solidity side. Uh, We've hired two other people within the past three weeks as well, one a community manager, another who's kind of our our now tokenomics lead who comes from uh, an actuary background, which is kind of, uh, it's health insurance modeling. And they do these really kind of complex uh, models on like grand economic scales so that we can, you know, model things out within our economy moving forward. So yeah, you know, we're definitely looking to scale and execute on a lot of these things that we are envisioning for sure.
1: That's really cool. And and I just want to say that I love that you mentioned that you want to underpromise and overdeliver. I'd almost guess that Dion would have coached you, maybe, <laughs> because we were talking about this last night um, when we, because we do a uh, a pre pod meeting. You know, we prepare for these types of uh, mm-hmm. episodes, but uh, that's that's exactly the kind of information that we want to hear, uh, and we appreciate hearing that because I think that that's honestly the right. Main headspace to be, yeah,
2: yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah, and I think that hype wears off after mm, a while.
2: mm, And you know, I think we can definitely speak to that at Nights of the Ether as well. You know, we had somewhat of a failed mint back at the end of January, beginning of February, and you know, we only minted about fifteen percent, but it didn't really change anything for us. We kept our heads down and built a great product and continued on. And we, you know, we're very transparent that entire time and definitely uh, kind of proved ourselves as being. You know, here for the long term and willing to execute and follow through, and and yeah, we uh, definitely hold ourselves to high standards and know that uh, you know having all of these people kind of as participants in our ecosystem and you know and spending money on our products, it's definitely a responsibility that we uh, that we that we take very highly, definitely.
0: Yeah, I and I can even attest. I, I'm sure some of you listeners are rolling your eyes because you know that I am heavily invested in this project, but I can. I personally attest that I have appreciated the rollout of all features and user experience upgrades. Um, I remember even seeing in your discord fluke, a few people saying like, Oh, I wish I could like unquest uh, or request all of my squires all at once. And then within like maybe a week or even less, uh, that was implemented um, within the UI. Uh, Yeah. You know,
2: we take community feedback super seriously. Um, you know, we have a big patch coming out, you know, within the next two or three days with a lot of these updates, like a restart quest function, that's going to cut gas down like 50% for people who are, you know, questing over and over again. Um, yeah, so we, we try to deliver quickly, but cause you know, there is definitely a pace to this kind of space, um, but we're not at the expense of, uh, of quality as well. So, yeah,
0: absolutely. And I I don't want to digress uh, too far because I could definitely talk about um, uh, communication as well. I think that you all have done a stellar job uh, communicating your updates and and being involved with the community. But moving, uh, kind of recentering back onto, onto gameplay. So I know that you talked a lot about partnership quests and things like that. Um, but one of the things that I am also interested in is learning about when um, the night game will will be available or what what kind of milestones you're working towards. Because I know that uh, there's a questing part and then also the, the deck building part. I assume maybe incorrectly that the deck building part might be, I guess, maybe initiated before questing and kind of a lead up to. But that's me just pontificating.
2: Right, yeah, so uh, so Knights is not as much questing. Um, the deck-building is kind of part of, I think, what you're getting at with the questing, which is kind of moving through these three acts. Um, you know, for people who are uh, are familiar with deck-building roguelikes, such as Slay the Spire or Roguebook, these are other kind of like paragons of the genre. Um, we're kind of basing ours heavily upon that, but it's basically a deck-building game in the sense that you move through these three acts, across a kind of map with different nodes or encounters. Um, Some of those are monster fights, some of those are kind of mystery encounters where you have to make decisions, and uh, some of those are shops where you kind of buy new items, and some of those are resting places where you heal yourself or upgrade the items that you've gotten so far. And at the end of each uh, monster battle, you basically get to choose from rewards, uh, like a card, uh, a potion, or a trinket. And you build your inventory as you go, as you move through those three acts by adding cards on. And the rogue-like aspect of it is that when you die, you start back from zero, and you don't keep any of that with you. So that's kind of a new idea for the play-to-earn space. And the way we implement it is that there's, you know, basically no gas fees for this for this game. It's happening mostly off-chain. You're going to kind of query out. Uh, at the beginning to see what's in your wallet what your squires have gone and quested and brought back items wise for your inventory and also to see which knights you own so that you can choose from those knights uh what their armor pieces are what their their weapon is and those are kind of items that are kind of your starting kit or your starting buffs when you go off into those three acts but yeah that's the kind of high level overview of what the deck building game is like i think anybody who just heard me ramble about it. and Was like, wait, what is it? Go check out Slay the Spire. That's a, you know a pretty close uh, idea of what we're shooting for there. Um, but yeah, timeline-wise, we have uh, you know we're aiming for this kind of three-stage rollout, which is uh, June, late June, uh, our alpha version; July, late July, our closed beta; and August, our open beta. And so three kind of stages will have the community playing and uh, giving feedback throughout all of those stages. Uh, What makes these games really good is a lot of about balancing and making sure that, you know, there aren't any cards that are totally broken or items that just don't do anything. And so it is kind of a long haul to get these things balanced, but the kind of superpower we have here for like an nft play to earn collection is that we already have a community interested in playing and testing our game and this is kind of what indie game developers would you know kill for is having you know 500 a thousand people there ready to start and play the game and help you balance it right when the first kind of version drops so that's that's something that will definitely kind of supercharge our ability to get from an alpha version to uh, a full launch much more quickly than a traditional indie game
0: wow yeah that 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 makes a lot of sense. I I didn't even think about it from a game development uh, perspective, which actually brings us to our next question. Uh, how did you get connected to your game developer, which I believe to be uh, an entity called Robot Sea Monster?
2: Yes, yeah, Robot Sea Monster Games. Yeah, they're awesome. So I, you know, I just found them through the old Google machine, classic. Um, I basically was searching for uh, indie game developers or game studios in uh, the Bay Area near me, which is where I live outside of San Francisco. Um, Cause I wanted to, I mean, ideally I was hoping to work like closely with them, but they're a more remote kind of thing, but also I was hoping to have someone within the same time zone and, uh, you know, working, you know, in the same area so that that would be kind of easier to facilitate. But yeah, you know, we reached out to a few different people and they were the most kind of a gung ho and interested. They're all Slay the Spire fans over there. And they were like, you know, we have these, two other people hitting us up wanting to build these games and we were like, we, they said we'd much rather build Slay the Spire than Clash of Clans. And so they were really (laughs) interested in that, um, they'd already built two other blockchain games before, and they'd had a long history of building just web two games and web two software, um, and a lot of mobile stuff as well, which was always really important for us because there's such a large kind of market share of mobile gamers and I think, uh, I think the future of mobile gaming is play to earn, uh, so that was really important for us. They kind of checked all the boxes, and and they've just been great. So yeah.
1: There was a uh, mobile game on iOS called Dream Quest that I played, like constantly daily, and it was a deck builder like a Slay of the Spire, but very rudimentary. Like the graphics were kind of basic, if uh-huh. you will, not like super basic, not like pixelated, but basic enough and it was built in unity but I'll tell you it was one of the most fun games that I played because it was just this weird deck builder like you'd select a different class every time you played and it was roguelike as soon as you died you were dead but uh that's cool I've never heard of that oh yeah it's a lot of fun I don't even know if it's still on iOS because I know the developer got poached by I think Blizzard
2: Mm, he was doing something right then for sure
1: yeah but uh no it was it was a lot of fun and I think it also had like a three step Kind of like three different maps, where like you you progress through one map and then you got to the next one and then you finally got to the boss map or something like that. But if it's still there, I definitely would check it out. Dream Quest is what cool, it's called.
2: Cool. cool. Okay, I will for sure.
0: Nice. And I think I think one of the last questions. I know that I don't think we've belabored gameplay too much, but one of the last questions about gameplay: How do treasures and magic integrate into the game? Or what what uh, do you feel comfortable telling us? About? Right.
2: Yeah, definitely. So treasures integrate in the same way as these kind of trinkets, which are items that you if you, you know, hold these, if you hold treasures in your wallet already, those will be available in kind of this RNG pool of possible combat drops. So in the same way that there's kind of a core amount of say 20 trinkets that are available to drop uh, randomly at the end of each elite or boss battle. If you own these treasures, that kind of expands that RNG pool and gives you the ability to have those drop. They'll be, you know, rare and therefore more powerful within the game. And so owning treasures doesn't necessarily set you up to be better at the game. It gives you a chance for your RNG to be better so that you can have better buffs throughout the game. So it's not like a guaranteed benefit, but it is uh, an assistance to the RNG, basically. And so that's one way they fit into the Knights deck builder, they also fit into the squire side on the shops. Um they're kind of a component for our crafting side. Um you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of games building right now trying to build some like effective sinks for kind of the treasure ecosystem for treasures. Um and so there's you know a small break percentage, but you you'll you'll use some of these kind of T4s and T5s to Combine with our rings and upgrade those rings or upgrade our trinkets or potions within our shops on the Squire's side. Uh, so that helps within the inventory as well. And then uh, for magic, we're doing something pretty cool with magic. So there's two spaces within our deck building game, casual and ranked play. And for ranked play, you're basically going to stake 50 magic. Don't don't hold me to the 50 number, but uh, 50 magic and you'll get your entry ticket for that month's leaderboard. And so we'll take that magic that all of our players are giving us, and we're gonna go uh, put it in the flywheel with Battlefly, who's our partner, and they'll get us a max, you know, boost percentage for that for that month. Uh, that gets you your entry ticket to the ranked leaderboards. Where we'll be giving away, um, you know, IRL prizes like a full suit of armor is gonna be the fun one. Um, we'll give away NFTs from partner collections and our own, and we'll also give away things like Fief and uh, and whatever, uh, like. I think it's 70% of all of those magic missions that are coming back are going straight into leaderboard prizes as well. So the leaderboard will scale, basically, a prizes-wise based off of how many people are buying that entry ticket to those month-long kind of leaderboard sessions.
3: Yeah, that sounds exciting. You know, it also adds that competitive aspect to, you know, things that we haven't really seen in a lot of P2E, realistically. So at least coming from, you know, a, a treasure basis. And I feel like incorporating that competitive aspect, you know, having that leaderboard being added within the game, it's definitely going to drive people to, you know, continue to play that game because in the end, you the harder you grind, I guess the more rewards you get to reap off of it. So that's I, I, I really like that concept. I think that's gonna be really cool,
2: yeah, yeah. that's that's always been kind of crucial for like coming from my background. I've always like played games competitively. You know, I was drawn more to PVP games mostly. but I thought, Having a PvE game with this kind of competitive leaderboard element would be really fun. And also it'll just create such an amazing space in the Discord or on Twitter, or just in general, for people to really strategize out and you know, for us to reward skill and strategy, as well as rewarding casual players who may just play the casual side and want to, to farm for things or play through and earn fief and things like that. So yeah, I I'm most interested in the ranked side as a person who loves you know playing competitive games. But we are thinking about both sides. Like, hey, how can someone who just owns the assets and assets and wants to kind of earn passively, how can they do that and play maybe you know one game a week on the casual side, or how can we have someone who's totally sweaty and wants to play ten hours a day on the ranked side and have both of those kind of uh, audiences be uh, served equally? Yeah,
0: that's that's great. I also think it's really clever your integration of the the treasure nfts i think it's wise on your part to to set it up how you have so it increases rng chance so it incentivizes you as a player to own treasures but it doesn't completely uh, reduce your chance if you if you don't have treasures because the last thing you want to do is require your players to go out and purchase or grind for this other nft that is not necessarily a part of your your like main original project yeah that, I think
2: that's a yeah, that's a really good point. You know, we basically want to s- make it easy for Bridgeworld participants to come in and play our game, but we don't want to have this high barrier of entry where people who are just finding our game through just the basic mobile version and maybe just own one knight and one squire, having it be a high barrier of entry of, oh, they have to go buy, you know, a donkey and a honeycomb to even be competitive or whatever. So, yeah, we're trying to kind of look at it from both angles, basically. <laughs>
0: We've talked about the current timeline for the the night's game launch, and I know that you've talked about scaling your team in terms of you've, you've hired uh, a dev, I think, just like two weeks ago, you mentioned. One of the things that we wanted to also ask about was your marketing efforts. Um, I, I know that this was a question in your FAQ. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what marketing you have done and what marketing you plan to do in the future.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um- You know, I mean, so that's a really big part of a success of a game like this is attracting a large enough user base for it to be sustainable and, uh, you know, kind of engaging long term, Uh, especially for the ranked side. You know, the more people we have playing and engaged, uh, the better it'll be. So we have a lot on the docket for marketing and we have kind of shied away from doing so much marketing up until now because we felt like we wanted to have. Um, a lot of the art and a lot of the assets for the deck building game, kind of, you know, the main meat of our ecosystem and collection finished before we started marketing, because that's where we feel like we'll really get the most bang for our buck and sharing kind of these, you know, beautiful art assets we've got done through this triple A you know, game art studio Volta, who's been great. So we are working with some marketing agencies. We're in talks with a few right now before we kind of go with one here um, over the next, starting over the next month to kind of roll out our game in the same way that an indie game would be rolled out so we're marketing from a game perspective instead of from an nft collection perspective and obviously we're including marketing that's uh, targeted towards nft holders and nft enthusiasts and play to earn enthusiasts but we're also doing a lot to target just Mobile gamers and uh, you know fans of the deck building roguelike genre, we're trying to kind of do our part on behalf of the play to-earn ecosystem and bring gamers in to try our product. And so a big part of that is going to be creating the mobile version of our game and marketing it like any other mobile game and you can go in, you can play in the practice version. You don't need a knight or a squire to play. You're not going to be earning fief, but you'll be able to play our game like it's a regular game. And at the end of that game, whether it's when you die in act two or at the end when you beat the third boss, it'll say, hey, here's how much fief you could have earned. And just something simple like that to see people be like, hey, I just spent an hour and a half playing this game. Maybe I should go check out what I could get if I went and maybe bought one night for you know however much money it is, or maybe I go into the armory uh, and do our what's called our century system, which is similar to Axie's scholarship system, where you just rent out a night you know, for a day and play with it to earn a portion of that fee. We wanna kind of get people coming from the game side as well as from the NFT side. So a lot of our marketing is gonna be centered around both of those uh, kind of angles. And then something really cool, and this is a little bit of alpha actually, we haven't shared yet. We're hiring this person who's kind of, uh, I guess, their role would be called like a game master or like a puppet master, and they run these kind of viral marketing campaigns. I don't know if you guys have heard of like alternate reality games, like uh, like Cicada three three zero one or other stuff like that. So yeah, we're working on. What we're doing is we're giving him direction and lore and all of the kind of info about our game, and then we're letting him go off and create this ARG through Twitter, through Discord, through websites, so that us team members, we won't know any of the actual clues or like answers to puzzles. So that way we don't get hit up in Discord 24-7, you know, give us the goods, give us the goods. Uh, But we're kind of, you know, winding him up with all of the lore and what we want to accomplish with it. And he's going to go off and run this, what's called an alternate reality game that should be spread out across a lot of different Twitter profiles within a lot of different Discords, a lot of different websites, kind of. An alternate reality game is kind of this multi-medium um kind of rabbit hole or treasure hunt across the internet. And so we're setting something up like that to hopefully bring in a lot of L1 users into uh into the treasure ecosystem and into the Knights of the Ether ecosystem more specifically.
0: That's super innovative. Yeah.
2: Um so it, I don't know if this is
0: too much of a digression, but could we talk about what Cicada 331 or 3301 is briefly?
2: I'm yeah. familiar
0: with the name. That's about it.
2: Cicada, I don't know. I'm not super in-depth on it. I've studied a little bit. I would never, like, participated. But it was kind of, uh, I think it started back in 2011 or 2012 when they did, like, three or four years of it. But it was basically... A group of people who dropped these kind of clues on the internet that said, oh, we're recruiting the brightest minds and, you know, we've laid puzzles across the internet. And if you figure them out, you know, like there's rewards at the end or whatever it was, and it was very secretive and very kind of mysterious. And so uh, there was a lot of concurrent players each year trying to solve these puzzles or kind of going down this rabbit hole across the internet. And we're trying to kind of we're kind of doing Cicada 3301 Light because, you know, we're not, uh, you know, info security professionals and we're not doing any like sort of, you know, hiding stuff in the source code or whatever it is. But we're doing a kind of rabbit hole multimedium game based off of kind of Arthurian or medieval kind of uh, knight's lore.
0: I think that's an incredible concept and I know that I ha- I I really do enjoy things like that so I'm very much looking forward to participating.
3: Yeah yeah that sounds wicked that is like something that as much as I'm not good at solving puzzles that is definitely <laughs> something that like I love looking at and I just really love the whole strategy and the uh, you know kind of this passive sub- suspense that kind of builds up to it and I think that's going to be really, really cool. And, you know, coming just from a community perspective, that's just going to, I think that's just going to make the community a lot tighter as well. Having different people work together, having the community work together, trying to fall solve whatever clues or whatever rabbit holes there may be in the game. And at the same time, you know, just venturing further into the game as a whole. And I think this is going to, I think it's going to be really, really cool. And, you know, I definitely feel like the people that you have behind this are going to be smart. and. Really intellectual guys that are going to be creating really cool rabbit holes as well, but i i'm I'm stoked. I think that's going to be really cool because this is something that I was kind of looking for within a game specifically to come within treasure as well, and I'm excited to see that someone's actually doing something like this because personally, I feel like there's a lot of people who are smart in treasure, and i, I lot there's a lot of great minds just working within this space, and I feel like it's just good to put their brains to work. so I think this is going to be awesome.
0: I think it's going to be really, really exciting to see.
2: Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, we're we're really excited about it. It's yeah, it's going to be great. I'm I'm pumped.
0: Well, I think I think the last question that we really really wanted to ask you is this is your first NFT project. So do you have interested in creating other games or sequels to Knights of the Ether or additional NFT projects? I, I mean, I, I know talking about the future probably sounds daunting considering how much you have on your hands right now.
2: Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, no, I definitely like to focus what's on, you know, what's in front of me, kind of one step at a time. Um, I don't, I don't envision myself ever working on another NFT collection. I, you know, I envision myself building out what we've started here at Knights of the Ether and expanding that, and you know, adding in future, uh, future characters like Rogues as our second planned character, and that'll be a playable. You know, it'll be an NFT collection, but also be a playable character with its own deck within the deck building game, uh, kind of expanding that way. And, you know, maybe way, way in the future, we've talked about some fun stuff like uh, like a Knights kind of uh, 3D fighting game or like a VR Knights arena type thing. Um, you know, we're definitely looking to build more on the IP we've created instead of, uh, you know, going off and doing something else. Yeah.
0: Incredible. I, I, I honestly do love to hear that. And I'm so excited for the future of this project. Um, Breaker or Alan, do either of you guys have any more questions?
1: I, I just want to say that I can't wait for your game, too. I probably say this almost on every podcast, but I think that right now, play to earn being just a point-and-click-and-wait kind of situation is not exactly the most entertaining. You know, you still get that what they call dopamine hit when, you know, you're revealing your treasures after sending your legions to Quest because I play Bridgeworld a lot. But um, you know, I, I want to see more interactive playable games you know where i'm actually playing a game not just kind of clicking on something so i'm excited i i hope to see you guys deliver on uh on this project for sure
2: yeah thanks man yeah you know i'm with you there we're definitely you know i think play to earn has a lot to to evolve from the where it's at right now is really cool but i think where it can go is just kind of sky's the limit and here at Knights of the Ether, we're definitely kind of looking to do this kind of fun first mentality, um, you know, have people come back and play our video game. If they can earn a little bit on top of that, that's great as well. But we're trying to, you know, just make a fun game first.
3: Um, that seems exciting, too. And seeing the first mobile game on Treasure, I feel like is it's going to be very, very big. And, you know, definitely going to be kind of changing just the whole ground space of just again the future of as you were saying just p2e in general and uh you know just respect to you guys in the team for being so bold and you know putting yourselves out there and trying to do a lot of things what i guess a lot of other developers or just uh game builders themselves wouldn't even try doing and, you know just kind of wanted to stay within their own uh mirror uh, mirror line so you know respect to you guys in the team kudos to you guys for you know going out and actually having the guts to go and try something like this it's definitely not it's definitely not easy to, you know, incorporate just the entire DeFi, and on top of that, just integration mechanics, and you know, actually making a game that's exciting and having people to want to continue to play it as well is—it's definitely not an easy thing to do. So, I, I have much respect for you
0: guys on there.
2: Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, you know, we definitely have our work cut out for us, but we're we're excited about what we're building and uh and what the future holds for sure. Well, Fluke, I, I wanted
0: to give you an opportunity to have the floor one more time in case there's anything that you wanted to to say about Knights of the Ether. That you felt like we didn't do justice um, at any point in this conversation, or if uh, any questions that we didn't ask. If not, I don't want to put you on the spot.
2: No, that's fine. You know, I'm sure I'll listen back to this podcast in a week from now and be like, oh, shoot, I should have mentioned something right here, but that's okay. I think you guys covered so much. We, you know, we kind of went through everything uh, in a nice, kind of fluid manner. We got to touch on both sides of the project, what's happening in the future, marketing plans, all that good stuff. So yeah, I'd like to just say, you know, thank you guys for for running a podcast like this and creating this space to kind of, you know, share information a more kind of long form content uh, for the Magic and Treasure ecosystem. I think it's great what you guys are doing. And it really, uh, you know, it adds a lot to, to our space to have, uh, you know, projects like this that you guys are doing. So thank you.
1: Uh, Well, thank you for that, for sure. And I also would like to say that when I listen to our podcasts, kind of during the editing process, I'm like, oh, I wish I had had asked this question or I wish we talked about this topic. So you're not alone there. Um, You know, there's only so many things that we can remember to bring up or uh, talk about. But Luke, it was great having you on on the pod. You are... I would say one of the most personal people we've spoken to, and that's not to put any of our other guests down, but uh, you seem to have kind of the charisma for uh, this type of format, and it was really enjoyable to hear you talk, you know, you explained everything pretty well. So thank you for that and thank you for joining and you know, I think I'm gonna look into Knights of the Ether a bit more now and I wanna know more about yeah, it now.
3: Definitely, definitely after I heard more about that uh strategy been strategy building and the rabbit holes, that has definitely caught my eye on it. So I'm definitely gonna take more luck on this as well. And you know, again, as everyone already said it, thank you for taking out the time, especially as you being the first founder on the podcast as well. Obviously being a founder is no, you know, easy fleet. You guys have tons of stuff to do and uh appreciate you for taking the time and, you know, hopping on the podcast and having a chat with us, honestly.
2: Yeah, thanks so much, guys. This has been great. Uh, Very honored to be the first founder here. So thanks so much for inviting me on.
1: Includes another episode of Magic Hour, friends. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe to our YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you can listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Magic Hour Pod. All the links are found on our link tree, which is in the show notes. From all of us, we appreciate your support for Bridge World.